Okay, so I'm here today with possibly one of my favourite people ever. Last year you could see her in the Many A Chocolate Factory's production of uh, Diary of Adrian Mole, more recently playing Mrs Cratchit in Lester Cove's Christmas production of Scrooge, and she's currently appearing as Eve in the UK premiere of Ruthless at the Arts Theatre in London. It's Laura Denning. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very good, thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> and we're here today at your lovely... Now, your lovely house in Biggleswade, where exactly are we? <laughs> uh, we're in Bedfordshire. Okay, uh, and it's like how far out of London? two counties up from London. But never fear, it's only 40 minutes away from London King's Cross, so it's not too bad. It's a commuter town. And how long have you lived here? Four years, this month, I think. Yeah, four, four years this month. And what was it, because obviously being a, a working actress, you know, doing jobs in London, what was it that, that kind of made you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to move out here? Because it's not, not easy, is it? It's not, is it? Is it the easy option to live out here? Uh, not in terms of travel, but I think uh, it got to a point where me and my fiancé, um, we we kind of just got a little bit priced out of London, I think. And also we had loads of friends in Biggleswade. We call it the Biggleswade Massive <laughs> and the Showbiz Express. So lots of us live in Biggleswade. So kind of become a little bit of community. So it's really nice, actually. Because I'm from Blackpool, so it's like a home from home. Yeah, I think you get to that point in life when you just think you kind of outgrow London. Yeah, and we're getting married this year. We've got a dog and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we've got a four-bedroom house now. Mm. stuff so we can whereas we don't be able to afford like a one bedroom flat yeah if <laughs> you're lucky really yeah. tiny box room mm. so you're currently uh starring in ruthless which is playing at the arts how's that going really well it's yeah. bonkers yeah but really fun and can you tell us for those people who don't know can you kind of sum up the show in a few words can you tell us about it um, it's um it's based on um, one of my favourite films of all time, All About Eve, starring mm-hmm. Bette Davis. Which is coming to the West End with Kate Blanchett, yes, it is. isn't it? Yeah. It is. Um, and it's also uh, kind of loosely based on Gypsy and Mame. Um, right, and so it's those a farce, kind of, comedy farce, really. Those kind of kitsch classics, all about kind of fame hungry. Yeah. yeah if you like campness and you like a little bit of like almost noises off stuff. Mm hmm. If that's your kind of taste, then you're going to really love it. Okay. And really what fun. an incredible cast. Harriet Thorpe, Tracy Bennett. Yeah. Amazing. Jason Gardner. What I an know, amazing... And then me. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> you're a star in your own living room. That's... Yeah. And um, oh, were you aware of their work before... We, did God, you know yeah. them? Or? I mean, Harriet Thorpe since, like, Mr. Precious, Mr. Precious, you know, in... The British Empire, Empire yeah. yeah. God, yeah, I used to always love the fact that she used to hide her children in a cup in the... Was it the, the drawers. cabinet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I loved her since then. And then I think Harriet actually um, taught at my college, at my university, when I was there studying. So mm-hmm. that was a treat. She came in one day. She won't remember, but she did. And um, that was a real treat. Uh, tweet? Treat. Um, <laughs> um, and Tracy, God, yeah, I mean, Tracy's done everything. So, um, but particularly her Judy Garland in End of the Rainbow, End of the Rainbow mm. was sensational. It was amazing. So mm. I was super excited to work with both of them. Mm. Um, and Jason, of course, does Dancing on Ice. So it's, and also Kim as well, because Kim's obviously come from the off Broadway production to come in with us. Mm. And she's just settling in brilliantly and she's so lovely. And, yeah, it's 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 a real honour to be. I know it sounds really like it's a real honour, but it really is. Mm. They are an amazing group of people, you know, people and professionals, and it's great. 
Well, we'll talk about, uh, a little bit more about Ruthless later, but I kind of want to uh, start at the very beginning, as it were, with you. Start so, at the very beginning. Do you know what? I did this with Alice, our, fr- our friend, yeah. and she did the exact same thing. No, she didn't. When I said I want to start at the very beginning, she sung that to me. So, <laughs> And you're best friends, so that kind of works yes, out perfectly. that works perfectly. out well, doesn't it? So you've already kind of mentioned that you're from Blackpool. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit more, more about that. You're from Blackpool. Tell me a bit about your childhood, kind of growing up, what your parents do. So, so my mum... Uh, used to be an opera singer. No way. Yeah. I didn't know, she that. know that. No. Yeah, she's been opera singer, and then she got nodules. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and she kind of had a bit of a, obviously a bit of a bad time with that. And my dad is a comedian. Uh huh. I mean, it all runs in the family. Um, and so, my dad kind of urged her because she's quite a funny lady. My dad urged her to possibly try comedy as a possible route that if the voice never kind of fully came back, she could fall back on. Mm-hmm. And it turns out she was really funny. So then she became a comedian. Then the voice kind of came back. She then kind of amalgamated the two. Um, and she did really well in Blackpool for a bit. And then she's now a cruise director. <laughs> That's incredible. So yeah. a very showbiz family. I just want to... Because mm. obviously Blackpool is a little bit of a showbiz capital of the north, yeah. isn't it? It's a little bit like the northern Las Vegas, <laughs> isn't it? It's kind of the, the, the cheap man's Las Vegas. Yeah. So did they... Were they originally from Blackpool or did they move to Blackpool because they were entertainers? So this is a really good story, actually. My dad's from Glasgow. My mum's from Birmingham. They met on a on a show called Stars in Their Eyes. Not the actual Stars in Their Eyes that we know. My eyes just popped out my I head. I know, yeah. On a variety show called Stars in Their Eyes. That's where they met. Uh, and then they moved to Scotland, had my brother, um, who's also in the business. He's in a rock band in Vegas. Funny you talk about Vegas. He went from Blackpool to Vegas. Um, and then they went, they came down to Blackpool for a charity event or something and they met Les Dawson. Les Dawson took a liking to my dad and said, my dad's a comedian and also done lots of stuff in his life, but mainly that. And he um, he said to them, you know, listen, there's nothing going on apart from here. This is the place you need to be. You guys definitely need to be here. So they up sticks and moved, and that was because of Les Dawson. How crazy is that? Because they needed to be somewhere yeah. where they could use yeah. what they got, as it were. And Les used to babysit me, and no Joe Longhorn did, and yeah, it was all like amazing. That's crazy. So real yeah. kind of showbiz upbringing yeah, for but, you. Yeah, but you know what? Like... They never pushed us into it. Like, my brother at one point wanted to become a marine biologist until he figured out he needed to, like, actually kind of, study. you know, study <laughs> and do things. So then he decided that actually being in a rock band was better. And that's a good, but, so it is a massive coincidence that both your parents are entertainers and both you and your brother have gone into yeah. to I kind mean, of showbiz. They never pushed it, but I think we lived and breathed it, didn't we? You know, if, you, if you're being babysat by Joe Longthorne and Les Dawson, it's probably going to happen. And was there any, was there ever a doubt for you like there was for your brother that you might do something else or was it always a given that you were going to be in entertainment? For me it wasn't. My brother was umming and ahhing for ages, uh, but for me I always kind of knew, I think. Mm-hmm. I was always the one that, you know, singing Phantom of the Opera and dressing up like Bette Midler. Oh really? So was it yeah. always musicals or was it just entertainment in general? My dad's really into film noir and like... Um, black and white movies and classics and Edward Woodward and all that kind of stuff so silent movies mm-hmm. so I was always kind of obsessed with things like that campy things I know you'd be surprised to know that um, but yeah musicals yeah I mean Singing in the Rain was my favourite musical 
film musical to watch. I used to watch it all the time. Um, I, but I really enjoyed um, scripts. I really liked scripts. Really enjoyed kind of. I used me and James used to my brother used to um, reenact stuff in our in our room and yeah. It's just and also shows. I was giving my age away. I was like of the time when Starlight Express, Les Mis, Phantom, Miss Saigon, all these major like epic Sunset Boulevard. Those are the ones I would listen to and they were just so epic and so like breathtaking. And then my mum and dad took us down to London to see um, those ones I've just said. Mac and Mabel with Caroline O'Connor. We went to see Copacabana with Gary Wilmot and Nicola Mm. Dawn. We just saw loads of different stuff and I kind of fell in love with it. Mm. I, I enjoyed the fact that it was kind of more than words, that it, there was a the impact that music had on you uh-huh. to tell a story. When it was told yeah. well. Yeah. You know. Plus I think the difference between, you know, plays and musicals, isn't it, is when you've got the addition of music, it does become it can become, like you say, if it's done well, so much more powerful. Yeah. And so what was it how do you go from kind of being in Blackpool? To, to to get into the West End. I mean, I know you because you're a good friend of mine. It's a, that was a long journey for you. Yeah. To to, to go from that to, to you know to to being in Matilda and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and all these shows you're doing, you've done. Um, but but what was the first part of that journey? How did you kind of go? Okay, I'm 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 heading in that direction. Well, I went to dance school like we all did. Went to a place called Sue Turner's, and then from there, um, I met. Oh God, this is, <laughs> I sound like a Blackpool variety uh, treasure chest. But basically, the niece of the Chuckle Brothers <laughs> <laughs> um, got me a job with Keith Harris. I mean, I've just clanged two people in, like, three seconds. But, uh, and I started working for Keith Harris. I was Keith Harris's cuddles for a bit. He used to dress up in, like, the orange outfit and do all that. So How old were you at this nine, point? Nine, ten, okay. something like that. So Debbie got me involved with that. And then she taught me dance. She kind of moved me into more of a kind of the modern style of dance that was happening and singing and things like that. And then my mum helped me with stuff like that. But then um, I then went to B-Tech and then I thought, okay, I'll, this is what I want to do, definitely. I'm going to try out for, for drama school. So then I went to drama school. But the interesting thing was, was that I was a big fish in a small pond in Blackpool. And by the time I got to drama college... I that was a that was a I think that's the case thing. for a lot of people that's always a big shock isn't it when you go you, from being kind of fairly well known and, and people are really kind of rooting for you and yeah. nurturing you and encouraging yeah. you in your in your smaller uh-huh. and I also think that's a part of being younger as well I think when you're yeah. young people are really excited about the possibilities for you and they want to encourage you so yeah. sometimes not all the time and um, but then I think the kind of wake up call is when you get to London or you get to that drama school and you get to that place and you think oh everyone has been nurtured and everyone is at the same level as me it's quite daunting for me it kind of broke me a bit Mm. not in a not in a like a tragic way just in a kind of it it really you know there was Alice Fern who's obviously part of the podcast there was Connie Fisher Sarah Ernst I mean god blimey my year was incredible and they were already brilliant um and it kind of it kind of was a bit. Um, I actually lost my confidence a little bit, quite 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 a bit actually. Um, and it took some building to to get kind of the confidence back. But that was just by when once I'd left college, I 
um, met Nick Winston, who's a who's a choreographer. Um, and Nick was I met him on the third third year show of Mount View. And um, he saw something in me and, and he took me on board and I became his assistant on a on a concert with uh, for Grease the musical, mm-hmm. Caroline Sheen and Darren Day and David Shannon and Craig Abani, like massive cast and Rachel Stanley, massive cast. And um, I became his assistant for that and then I did another couple of things and then I did another couple of things for him and then I was in a couple of his shows. Like, and I have a lot for him to thank. Uh, I have a lot to thank him for because he he kind of saw something in me and kind of helped me kind of go behind the scenes a little bit and kind of build up mm. from from there. But And some people left college and went straight into the West End, straight into touring, straight into big shows. But for me, it was, God, about four years. Well, what would you say? Four or five? I would say four or five years. I like guess that. so. Yeah. I mean, until you started getting the kind of work that you wanted. I mean, you were still working, but I think oh, yeah, not, I was working loads, not at the level yeah. that you wanted to be. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit and talk about <clears throat> that idea you, you kind of mentioned of, of losing your confidence yeah. or something I'm assuming it was because you were surrounded by these big personalities and you felt intimidated um yeah I think also um I probably had I, I do I do remember that when I was in Blackpool I still had a little bit of confidence issues it wasn't as big because I was kind of the the one that everyone was looking out for so that I kind of had that boost of confidence but I kind of struggled a little bit I think and then when I got that down to London and you move to a different place god you move mm. to a city instead of a town and you meet all these amazing people it's really um I became actually the actress rather than the singer and the dancer that I was at home because I, I used that as a tool, like, oh, I can, I'm maybe not as good as at the singing as these people are, and maybe not as good as the dancing as these people are, but I think I'm, I think I'm okay, I'm okay at acting, so I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. And also, when you sing, your nerves show so much more. <laughs> like when you go into an audition for singing, like it's if you do have a wobble, you have a wobble. It's exposing, a, isn't it? Because yeah. you either hit the note or you don't. Or you don't. Whereas with acting, with text, it it was it was different. But I had a voice, but I just I just didn't have my voice that I've got now. I know that sounds really strange, but I didn't. I just didn't. I didn't quite know where I fit within mm-hmm. the. It's within really the, interesting you talk about. Um, you know, you, you, you had these insecurities when you went into training and, uh, you know, to some people that might sound kind of uh, strange, you know, the thoughts of someone who had insecurities wanting to go into uh, an industry where you're constantly on show. <laughs> yeah. But that's actually a common trait in so many performers, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. What do you think that is? Like, that That's always interested me that the people who are perhaps most insecure um, tend to gravitate towards performing yeah. Um, because, you know, we, we both know so many actors and so many performers in the business and there is that crippling insecurity in quite a, a large number of them and that's something that I think a lot of people wouldn't expect of this business. Yeah. And I wonder whether it's, you know, the chicken or the egg, which came first? Is it the insecurity which leads you into a, a need to be praised publicly or is it the business that makes you insecure do do you know what I think it's weird I found this about only recently I've really thought about this question but I think I don't really like being the center of attention for things and I'm quite campy and quite showbiz and I love quite confident person when you meet me and blah blah but 
I actually, when it comes to birthdays and Christmases and events, and I'm getting married in September and things like that, I haven't mentioned I'm getting married, <laughs> um, <laughs> in September, like, uh, and my anxiety, I get a bit like, oh, God, ooh, and I get really funny, and I thought, God, I, I really don't think I like being the centre of attention. And again, I was like, why do I, why am I in this business then? Why is that something that, and I, I think, in fact, I think I know, is that it's you, when you embody a character, you hide, you become that character, you hide. So therefore, you're not Laura Denny anymore. You are whoever you're playing, Mrs. Cratchit, or even Ruthless, like I'm doing at the minute. Like, you can you can hide and become someone else, which is, I know a lot of people who are very, very shy, mm. but as soon as they become a different character, they just come alive. It's and they, a disguise. And it's, it's a disguise. It's a different mm. thing. And actually, I started using it in auditions. I started creating an alter ego for myself. I give people that advice a lot. It's the best advice ever because mm-hmm. auditions are such a bizarre situation. They are bizarre. They're clinical. It's it's really hard, and it takes a while to become yourself. I learned, like you know, I learned the hard way. You know, you just have to go in and just be yourself. Mm. And there's a there's a brilliant interview from Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad uh, from Breaking Bad. And he just says, you just have to go in, give them you, give them what you've got. And if they don't like it, that's fine. You just mm. walk away. One mm. day they'll just go, yep, yeah, that is you. And that's fine. It can't, the, it's, it's a big thing that must be spoken about, which is the, just looking after yourself mentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was up for a very big part last year and I got down to the last two and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, you know, and I gave myself such a hard time about it. And then I stopped and went, hold on, hang on. I nearly got that. Mm. And I was down to last, well done, that's amazing. Mm. Mm. And I've learned to kind of stop going, well, I didn't get that, mm. I'm a failure, to actually, crikey, mm. that was that was a pretty good role yeah. to, to nearly and get. And there's so well much work that goes on that people don't see in this business, isn't there? You yeah. know, I mean, n- not just... Uh, in terms of auditions and stuff, but the rehearsal process and the amount of stuff that goes in. Mm-hmm. And then of course you're judged off that two hour performance, you know, not, you know, yeah. so, so that's, that's a big thing. I think an important thing to remember in this business is, um, gotcha. actually, actually it's not just about those two hours on stage, but it's about maintaining yeah. a career and an interest and an energy. And, yeah. you know, but by creating the alter ego, that is like the key. My alter ego is Red mm. Mahoney. <laughs> it's that's, because that's what, what it she's does called. is Red Mahoney is mine, yeah. And it and it detaches you. So it's not Lara Denning going into a room, it's a different so you can almost kind of you know like Beyonce does it. Oh yeah, yeah. She a lot of a lot of big performers do, yeah. It just helps. And do you know what? It started to I kind of took the advice that Brian Cranston did in this interview. I thought, God yeah, I just need to just kind of chill out. Chill out and just give them what I've got. Mm. Do the work, make sure you are prepared, make sure you know your song properly, make sure you 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 know you you just yourself go in see if they like it if they do brilliant if they don't don't hammer yourself about it mm. it's it is what it is mm. so going back so so you leave drama school you go out into the business and you mentioned before that you perhaps weren't doing the shows that you wanted to do immediately yeah that you had to wait a little while until those roles started started coming yeah and also for me to to gain the confidence and the audition technique that I did. Mm. So do you think, kind of looking back at that time, do you think that the reason you weren't getting those parts or, or you weren't getting the jobs that you wanted was purely down to the way you handled yourself in an audition room? Um, or do you think it was down to something else? I think 
uh, about 75% of it was, was... Really? Yeah. And the rest was probably I just wasn't right or wasn't... I don't know, but... That must be so difficult to know that you can do it, but to not be able to represent yourself in the five minutes that you get for an audition. Yeah, it's very infuriating. And and then you, but then the problem is then you just start to blame yourself and you go, why are you doing? And you yeah. get het up and you get annoyed. And then I imagine that doesn't help for the next audition no, or the next no, no, audition no. or the next... So you get into a, a bit of a funk. Yeah, mm. you do. So you just have to kind of have a... Where does that... I mean, my, I had an agent when I left college and then I managed to get myself one of my first kind of, I say, big jobs was All the Fun and Fair with Nikolai Foster mm-hmm. uh, and David Essex. And the girl who was in the ensemble with me, she said, oh, my, my sister's an agent. And I said, oh, okay, cool. And I said, she wouldn't meet with me, would she? You know, because my, my um, agent that I have, you know, I'm not getting that many auditions. And I'm and the problem is, when you don't get an audition for four months, and then it's lame is, mm. and then you go, oh, my God, it's lame is, it's mm. huge. But when you start to get, like, five or six or seven auditions a week, or then it starts to be in your diary, mm. go to this audition, meet someone for coffee, Go and do this. Go. And it becomes a part of your daily life. Therefore, that takes away the, the pressure. The pressure. Yeah. Of course, it does. Yeah, because it's a big build-up. If it, if you're not if you're out of practice in terms of auditions and singing in front of people, uh, when that big audition does come up, yeah. it becomes a huge thing because you haven't sung in front of anyone for three weeks. Exactly. So yeah. So that helps. And as soon as I got, as soon as I Sarah took me on, mm. um, you and know, you're I was still getting, you're still with that same agent Sarah, now. Yeah. yeah. I am. Wow. Yeah. So j- just quickly again, just just because I find this this whole thing so interesting. Those years, because we will get on to since those years have passed, you've become very successful, and I'm pleased to to have seen that. You know, being such a good friend of yours. But those years when things weren't going so well, how do you stay interested? How do you stay? How do you keep on keeping on? I think there is a there must have been a belief system in me. There must have been. Otherwise, I'd have just gone, do you know what? Like, me and me and Nick, my fiancé, we worked in a bar together in those kind of years. And I could have easily worked, became a bar manager and just gone, do you know what's not happening? Mm. Let's just leave it. And, you know, we did speak about it at one point because I was like, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. Mm. And I, so there must what, have been what, a... To self, keep doing what? Just what? keep... To keep um, I don't want to say failing because fa- failing is the wrong word. That's what I, the word I used, but it's not really that. It's just... Um, Keep risking yeah. that, like, with the idea that it might not pay off. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I must have had a belief system. And do you know what? Interestingly, interestingly enough, I just kept doing little jobs. And acting jobs, you mean, as yeah, opposed to... Yeah, acting jobs, as well as, well as my bar work. But I was in a show called Got a Sing, Got a Dance, which Nick Winston choreographed. I keep mentioning that name, but he is fabulous. Um, and uh, it was a five-hander, and it, it involved us all singing and, and dancing and, and doing things like that. And one minute you're doing um, Knees Up, Mother Brown. The next minute you're singing I Dreamed a Dream. The next minute you're doing this. So you don't have time to think. Mm. And it was a five-hander, so we all had to do everything. And it was a collaborative show, so I could kind of hide behind the team of it. But then all of a sudden I'm being thrust upon to sing I Dreamed a Dream or whatever. I think one of the things I sang was Don't Cry For Me Argentina or something. And that was like a major game player, mm. um, game Changer. change. That's so it's a, it's a bit of a, it's the making of you in terms of 
you were forced out front to sing yeah. huge numbers in front of big audiences, whether you liked it or not. Whether I liked it or not. Mm. And actually, it, it kind of made me go, okay, well, I can, I can sing that. Okay, that's mm-hmm. good. I can do that. I can do that. I can do mm. that. And then slowly but surely, the, build, the confidence mm. building blocks start to get, you know, a bit more solid. And then I'm going to auditions and I'm, instead of getting cut on first rounds or second rounds, I'm all of a sudden just nudging myself. Oh, and now I'm at finals now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a really tough year that I um, had 15 finals in a year. And I didn't get one of them. Oh, so for those people who don't know, a final is uh, means the final audition for a yeah. show. So you got down to basically the last round of auditions <laughs> yeah. uh, for fifteen jobs. Yeah, in one year, and you didn't get any of no. them. How do you bounce back from that? <laughs> I don't know how you. That must be. I mean, I do know because I've been through it myself. Maybe not fifteen, but it's so hard to keep going, isn't it? Like for me, it's interesting what you say. There must have been a belief system. I, I, when I ask the same question to myself, the answer is, I couldn't accept that the answer was no. Yeah. I couldn't accept that it wasn't going to work. So that's what kept me. It was almost a denial, a slight delusion on my part. Yeah. <laughs> but by the, by the point, by the time I got to the finals, I was just really happy I was getting to finals. Mm. Like at that point, I was like, yes, I'm getting better. I'm get, I'm, mm. I'm showing them what I can do. This is great. This is really good. And then, yeah, it did. It did get to about probably about the fifth one or sixth one where I was just like, "Come on, give me yeah. a break!" But eventually, it did break for you, and you did a, a few really, really exciting jobs, kind of in a row. I know yeah. my, my prime memory of, of of when things started to really change for you was you did the tour of uh, all the fun of the fair with David, starring David Essex, directed by Nikolai Foster. Yeah, um, and you also did the Rocky Horror Show in Germany. Was that before or afterwards? That was afterwards. So I did a European tour, right, of Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, that for me, I don't know about you, but that for me when when I really thought, okay, things are really changing for Lara now because yeah. she's getting, she's doing shows, uh, major tours uh, and shows that people know and have heard yeah. of. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about All the Fun of the Fair. What, how was that? And Because I know that you became really good friends with David Essex. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm pretty much friends with everyone that I did that job with because uh, it was a brilliant job. I was so excited. Um, a girl called Tanya Robb, who's a dear friend of mine, um, she played the role of Alice, and I understudied that role. And um, we were in, I think we were about two weeks into the show, and uh, she <laughs> broke her foot. I remember this, yeah. And I was put on in the the evening of the show. It was a matinee she did it, I think. It was, South, was it Southport? I think it was Southport. Where um, I'm from? No, it can't be Southport. <laughs> Somewhere. Somewhere. It was South End. It was South End. Yeah, it was South End. I remember it. And um, yeah, she broke. She broke her foot, and I was like, "Oh, okay, crikey!" I'd never understood it before. I, I, I was on my stuff, like I, I knew what I was doing. And then uh, I remember just going on, and again, yeah, because it was fast, I couldn't think about it. I was like, "Okay, let's do it." Like, no I'll time to second it. guess it. And then I remember it was such an amazing moment. I remember just having this massive hand on my shoulder, and it was David's hand because he's got huge hands. And he just went and he looked at me with his baby blues. He went, "You did all right, kiddo. Oh. You went well done. You're fantastic." And I just went, "Well, if David Essex says that, I've got to stop. Kind of, I've got to stop now." Mm. Like, come on, I've got to stop getting in my own way. Mm-hmm. I've kind of, kind of just got to believe and go, great. And then I was on for six weeks, which again was just so helpful. Mm. Um, 
and then Tam came back, bless her, which is great. But again, that that was quite difficult. You can you're on for six weeks and then you go back to you've your got to hand it over. Track. You've got yeah, to hand yeah. it back, but. And then yeah. shortly after that, Rocky Horror, which you did. Uh, so you said it was a European tour. Was did you play any dates over here, or did you just do? No, we did Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Spain, wow. and a bit of France. I think it was. Incredible. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, seeing the world as well, amazing. And what was it like being out of uh, Britain? What was it like working abroad? Was that something you wanted to do at the time, or was it something that you took because you felt you had to? opportunity-wise or career-wise? I think opportunity and career-wise, I think. And also, you know, I was, God, I was, what, 26, something like that? So it was exciting. It was exciting to go away. 26 sounds so young now. I know, doesn't it? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I was young and, you know, I I was really excited and uh, the show was fun. I always loved the show. So... It was great. And you know what was great about the German tour was, was that they were very happy for the understudies, because I understudied all three of the girls, and they were really happy for you to go on whenever you Mm. wanted to, as long as you asked the girl playing the part if she wanted a night off, which, of course, they all did. So when my parents were there and when I had friends over, I'd just be like, you know, Jelenga, who played Magenta, who's my best friend, now we met on that tour, she was like, mate, your parents are here, I'll go off. No worries. So she ended up sitting in the audience <laughs> watching me do her part as That's presenter so with my parents, mm. you know, and they were all crying. They were really proud and it was great. And, and yeah, the, really great to kind of be able to do those parts loads of times. Mm. Mm. And they're all very different as well. Janet, Columbia and Magenta. Mm. Again, so a challenge, just, just little mini challenges for myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and you kind of set up shop in London yeah, for a little while. My West End debut. Yeah. And so uh, your first show in London was Matilda. Matilda. I mean, what? That's pretty good first <laughs> West End credit. I mean, I did get to a point where I was like, well, if this is what I was meant to be waiting for. You know, and did you do? Because obviously, <laughs> it started in Stratford with that original company. Yeah. Then it came in to the West End, to, to the Cambridge. Yeah. Did you do that first year or did you do the second year? I did the second year. Right. So I you were in. you were in pretty soon, soon though, early doors. Yeah, early Considering doors. it's now in its, what, sixth or seventh year? Yeah, something like that. Yeah? yeah. So you were you were quite you were quite early on. And uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, you must have just been... So, I mean, it was the show that everyone was talking about and to some extent still are. Yeah. Um, that must have just been such an amazing over, moment for you. Over the moon. I remember talking to you on the phone about it as well um I couldn't believe it it was amazing I was you know first cover Miss Honey I was second cover Wormwood I was playing the acrobat it was just a dream come true like it really Mm -hmm. was the script's insane the music's insane the choreography's fantastic like it's for me it's like one of the most perfect mm. shows. They worked hard. They they workshopped it for years. It's one of the perfect show, and it's and what was lucky about me going when I went in was they were looking to push it to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So all the creatives were in the room in our rehearsals. So there was Peter Darling, and then there was Tim Minchin, and then there was Matthew Watchers, and then it was Dennis Kelly, and then uh, it was just yeah, to, so it was like doing the show people. in rehearsals mm. and. And then what happened was uh, I'd stayed in the show for and had the most incredible time. 
Um, I couldn't have asked for a better time. And then Hayley, who was playing Miss Honey, wanted some time off. She wanted to stay in the show, but she'd been in the show for quite a while. She wanted some time off. And then, uh, yeah, they said, do you want to play Miss Honey? <laughs> Just while she was away. While she was away, they said, you know, we'd like you to play Honey. And because um, wow. I already had left at that point. And they said, will you come back and play Honey? And, and so I literally went from having a West End debut as an ensemble cover, which was amazing for me, to then leaving that show being a lead, which of mm. course changed everything. everything. Yeah, it's kind of that really like, changed the trajectory of your kind career. Of, it kind didn't of felt it? like the six or seven years I struggled, I'd been fast tracked. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's how it feels. It feels like it was like mm. okay, well that happened so we need to get this done nice and quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah and all the pieces kind of fit into place it was what, mental what an amazing thing to happen and what yeah. a high to go out of God, that yeah. show playing yeah. the, the the kind of female lead role yeah incredible yeah. amazing and then you kind of skipped hop and jumped over town at the other side of to town to another Royal Dahl show to another Royal Dahl show yes um and you played uh Mrs. Bucket yeah. for two years at Drury Lane in yeah, Toronto. Yeah, well, a year and a half Factory. it was, yeah. Okay, amazing. And talk about that because, I mean, that show was... Epic. Massive. Yeah. It was absolutely gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what, what, was, what is it like being an actor on that stage in that production? <laughs> you must feel dwarfed by this, yeah. how huge that set is. And it's just such a huge thing. I remember in tech coming into the theatre and we obviously had the health and safety walk about the theatre and stuff and it was like, the Cambridge is a lovely theatre but it's very small. It's intimate, isn't it? Yeah. I suddenly realised that I needed to kind of literally hinge my neck back a couple of more inches to get to the top when, you know, you're... Drury Lane. When you're singing your song or you're doing your... Whatever you're, you're, the scene you're doing, you kind of realise that if you keep your head to a certain level, people can't see you mm. so you have to kind of... It was amazing. I mean... I used to take lots of, this, this sounds really kind of cheesy, but I did used to take moments of just like, oh my God. It's one of the most legendary incredible. spaces in London, yeah. you know, theat- theatrically speaking. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing theatre. And it was a really great show. So much fun. So much fun. Um, and I remember going into it, I know you felt like you wanted to do something uh, you wanted to challenge the part a little bit and you yeah. didn't want to do, uh, you didn't want to play, I think I think I remember you saying you didn't want to play the kind of tragedy of it, you wanted to kind of yeah. challenge that a little bit. Well, my, my thought process was any any family who are poor, who are downtrodden, they don't go around talking, hello, you know, they're, they're not like that. They're, they're, they have to bring the joy and the hope constantly. Which, of course, the other actors did who played the roles too. But I think me and Chris and Derek, who was... I had two husbands, went through two of them. Um, We, yeah, we kind of very much wanted to play so much the hope and the... And the mm. joy, and it ended up just being so much fun. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the the grandparents as well in the bed, and mm. they were all naughty them them lot. And mm. again, you know, you're working with Myra Sands and Barry James and the late great Ronnie Page, um, and you just go, "This is amazing. Mm. Lap it up. Mm. Listen to the old stories." And I remember Wayne Sleep came to the <laughs> stage door for Myra, and just kind of went, oh, "Myra, can't you smell the memories?" <laughs> <laughs> Like, yes, <laughs> you know, Myra still can get a leg off. It's brilliant. It's amazing. 
And of course, that show closed a little bit earlier than you thought it was going to do. Is yeah, that right? It closed in the January thing instead of the May. It was meant to close, meant to finish in the May. I think it closed in the January. And was that your was that your first experience of being in a show that kind of got its notice a little bit earlier than, than yes. the cast expected? I mean, I've obviously had the experience of doing a tour and knowing when the tour date's going to finish. Yeah. But actually having the notice. But we all kind of knew it. They were really good. Warner Brothers and Playful were really good. And they told us like seven months before. They just said, we want to ride out on a high. Because January and February is always a bit of a lull in mm-hmm. the West End anyway. Well, anywhere, I think, because mm-hmm. Christmas has happened mm-hmm. and everyone starts panicking. So they said, we just really want to end on a high. Do Christmas, have a lovely old time, and we're going to end in January rather than May. Mm-hmm. Rather than go through the lull to then only just do Easter, which is the big thing. Mm-hmm. So they just decided. But they let us know in good time, and they were mm-hmm. a brilliant company. It was fantastic. So it wasn't too much of a sting then? No, it no. wasn't like two weeks' notice and mm. you're out Which does year. happen. Yeah, it happens all the time. Mm. Luckily, touch wood, I haven't experience that <laughs> and since then you've gone on and you've done I, I think I think last year and this year have been probably the most interesting part of your career to date because yes. and it's been so lovely to watch that as a friend because you've done these two huge shows mm-hmm. and I think in a way I imagine if I was you or if I put myself in your position I imagine that they made you relax and go okay I'm worth it. I'm here. I'm oh, God, doing yeah. it. And yeah, I've yeah. done it and I can do it. Yeah. But then you get to kind of go and do something a little bit interesting. And it's mm. not maybe, you know, and, and the shows you've done since, um, Diary of Edge and Mole at the Menier and yeah. Scrooge at Curve and now Ruthless at the Arts, they, they're smaller shows. They're more maybe more creative, more artistic in some ways for the actor because you don't have those huge Charlie in the Chocolate Factory sets. Yeah. So you're, it's more about, you know, the, the actors getting their hands in and, and, and helping to tell the story. Yeah. Um, how's that been for you? Have you enjoyed that? Uh, are you missing the West End? Are you enjoying the challenge of these smaller shows? Um, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I mean, the Menier was just incredible. I mean, the part, I played two plots, uh, Miss Elf and Doreen Slater, um, and they were both very, very different. They were fun. They were really funny. I mean, I'd gone from playing Miss Honey and Mrs. Bucket to now playing the town bike mm. <laughs> and the crazy teacher, which I loved. I loved the fact that it was so different. Also, I created the role. I mean, it was done before in a workshop um, and, at, and at Curve, actually. But they allowed us to kind of, they kind of wanted to treat it as a new production. Mm. So it felt like I was creating the role, the roles. Um so that was incredible and you know five star reviews and the show was just ridiculous it it was so funny as well and mm. brilliant it was and, a fantastic production oh, it was so much fun it was fun. amazing and Jake Jake Brunger and Pippa Cleary are just geniuses they're fantastic and everyone involved in that production was insanely good um, and then moving to The Curve I was back with Nikolai Foster which was so lovely mm. after eight years I think it was because so he directed all the fun of the fair he directed all the fun of the fair mm. and he's artistic director of The Curve and we kind of uh, I think they also they also co-produced Adrian as well mm. so I did see him but it was so amazing to work with him again and mm. he's such a brilliant director and he's such a lovely man and a generous guy who again said listen let's do Mrs Cratchit the way you want to do it let's let's give it a go and we we made made her into quite a matriarchal um strong woman character even though it was in Dickensian London we we really worked hard on on that and to, to be honest Mrs Cratchit was more of a acting role than it was a, a mm. kind of musical theatre role as you would say that being said though you did get to work with the legendary 
Stephen Meir. Stephen Meir, yes. How is that? Because, I mean, he's... I haven't met a single person who doesn't think that um, that he's just the nicest man in the world. Yeah. For those people who don't know, Stephen Meir is an incredible, uh, award-winning and much-acclaimed choreographer who's worked extensively uh, in, in London and on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, so talk a little bit about that. How was that? Well, Stephen Meir is just the best do you know do you know what it is about Stephen as, as well as being a brilliant individual and showbiz and camp and fabulous as he is he's also a massive team player you know he's won two Olivier awards and been nominated for a turn he'll love the fact that I've just said this um you know and but yeah he's so for his ensemble he he enjoys people who work hard play hard professional do their job, do it well, do it properly. And he has the utmost respect for everyone, whether you're third tree from the left mm. or you're the lead. He doesn't He doesn't differentiate between anyone, and you shouldn't because mm. the whole production is there because everyone mucks in. And I think that shows in his work as well. I've yeah. it, it seems like everyone's values and everyone's got their kind of moments. Yeah, yeah. and he's just, he's become a really, really good friend. Good, fantastic. Invitation to the wedding? Absolutely. Which is when? September. This year, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the countdown is on. The countdown. And you were is telling me before on. that you've already got the dress. I've already got the dress. Yeah, which is exciting. I showed you the dress, so I'm thrilled because you like the dress. I mean, we and were... you would have told me if you didn't like the dress. I know you would. have. I really like the dress. I think it's it's very you. It's very you. That's all I can say because I know we're not allowed to talk about yes. it. But it's very you. It's it's really beautiful. And yeah. from what you were saying before, I do feel like. <laughs> It may be the showbiz event of the year. It might by, just be. By the guest list you were talking to before. The old but you've got to get Ruthless out of the way first. Yeah. So um when do, when does it run till do you, do you remember? Uh, June the twenty third. June twenty third. And then yeah. a much deserved break, I hope. Well for you. yeah, either and, that or something else comes yeah. up. So where can people find you if they want to have a look for you? Uh, on Twitter I am at Dame Denning. Mm-hmm. And Instagram, I'm on Dame underscore Denning. There's a running thread. Just to here. mix it up, yeah. Um and then yeah. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> I hope so, unless people want to stalk you on Facebook. Not very good with the old tech. Okay, well, thanks so much for talking to us today, Lara, and good luck with the rest of the run. Thank you, Kirk. Bye. 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 <laughs>